Welcome to Policy Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about organisational policy and the processes involved in developing, implementing, evaluating and communicating changes and updates to policy effectively. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode has a background of over 20 years of service with the Australian Army. She had a position in foreign affairs and trade, spent 14 years in the private sector and was formerly mayor of the Southern Downs Regional Council. Tracy Dobby has experienced leadership in many different ways. Tracy Dobby, thanks for coming to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Tracy, can you tell the listeners a bit about your career so far and um, what you're doing right now? Well, I'm uh, probably in my retirement right now. So um, I'm at the end of my working life rather than the beginning or even midway. I've had a, a long and I guess winding career. I spent 22 years in the Australian Army. I uh, reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel and my last appointment was as a commanding officer of the 1st Recruit Training Battalion. I moved into the private sector and worked uh, in a project management consulting and training business that operated throughout Australia and overseas and went and worked in Kuala Lumpur, for example, for three years, running the local office there. I returned to Australia and went to work for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. After that, um, I moved uh, to a rural property and managed that rural property uh, cattle breeding for a number of years. Then I decided that I wasn't finished with working and so I stood for election in the local government elections in 2016 and was elected Mayor of the Southern Downs. So in 2020, I was not re-elected and decided that that's probably the end of my working life. I still do volunteer work on boards with a number of not-for-profit organisations. So that's what I'm doing now. Wow, that is quite a career, Tracy. It's taken you to some pretty far-fetched places. It has. Very different, quite a broad, uh, I guess, employment background. So, Tracy, today we're talking about the role of organisational policy. How would you describe policy um, within organisations that you've worked in? Well, I've worked in a range of different organisations, large and small, as well as the public and private sector, and, of course, as I said before, in the not-for-profit sector as well. So I guess one of the things that I've found is that policies are there, of course, to guide both individual and organisational performance. And I've certainly discovered everywhere that I've worked that not all policies are written down. There are always these unwritten policies. And I guess part of moving into a new organisation is learning about those unwritten policies and what they mean. So there's no doubt that those unwritten policies sometimes have to be understood or are passed by word of mouth and that's part of any new employee's integration or or initiation into an organisation to understand those unwritten policies. Now, organisations have written policies in place, of course, because we're all human and we need to have rules to follow and I see policies as providing that guidance that comes when it's time to make a decision. Uh, I guess I've always seen policies as being adaptable to the circumstances I've worked with people who are very, very rigid 
and see policies as being unbending, but I always think that there are circumstances when, you know, the outside of a policy needs to be able to bend in order to adapt to the, the circumstances or the situation. And I think that policies are there for when decisions aren't easy. You know, if the answer to something is really clear and everyone understands it, then that's fine. But there's a black and a white or a right or a wrong and there's in the middle is grey and, and policies are designed to assist people through those decision-making processes. Of course, those times when the, the decision aren't clear is when the policy then has to become a little bit questionable, I guess. So do you think then, as you're describing it, policy is is sort of a set of guidelines to take you to where you might need to go, but they're not necessarily a set of rigid rules then. They, they set you up for what you're trying to achieve and they need to be interpreted. That's what I believe. And as I said, I've come across the people who are very rigid and don't see policy in that way, but that's how I see it. It's been set up, policies have been set up for a reason. And of course, individuals and organisations change. So the original reason for why the policy was set up may not be relevant today or tomorrow. When you're looking at a decision, when you have to make a decision, you look at the policy and you say, well, to me, there's only one clear decision and doesn't align with the policy. Then you have to say, well, is it time to change the policy? Is it time to look back and reassess and say, why was this policy created in the first place? Is it still in line with where our organisation is going? Do I abide by the decision or rather does my decision abide by the policy or is it time to move away from that policy? And in organisations, I said big or small, public or private stuff, that question is being asked continually. So what are the sorts of factors then that need to be thought of when you're developing an organisational policy so that I guess so that it can deliver an outcome so that it can guide you when you need to make a decision, but also so that it can be, as you say, flexible? Policies are developed based on experience. So past experiences lead to a policy being developed. So something's happened, uh, the outcome or, or decision is not clear. So therefore, we need to make a policy so that for the future, when people face that same circumstance, the process to be followed, the procedure to be followed, the outcome is clear. So we've used past experience to influence the development of a policy. I guess we have to look at why we're developing the policy. Is it aligned to the vision of the organisation and where the organisation's going? Not everyone's going to agree, of course, but does the policy apply to everyone in the organisation? If it doesn't, then that needs to be addressed in the policy. You know, I've worked in organisations where people have said, well, that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then that needs to be spelled out in the development of the policy because there are hierarchies in an organisation and sometimes the policy won't apply to everyone, but that needs to be spelled out in the policy. I, I mentioned before about unwritten policies. So they will clash the unwritten and the written policies. That so needs to be clear where and to whom the policy applies in an organisation. I think a policy has to be clear and specific. What is acceptable behaviour and what is not acceptable behaviour? If we're talking about behaviours, then that needs to be clearly spelled out in the policy. And in organisations I've worked at, I have come across many, many times where policies are generic and quite grey and very unclear on, A, who they apply to and whether the behaviours are spelled out consequences of non-compliance as a result, of course, must also be spelt out along with the policy itself. I guess I look at policies uh, designing the intent or the outcome of behaviour. So in 
developing a policy, you have to say, well, what do we want to happen at the end? The procedure that you write alongside the policy tells you how to get there, but you need to be sure of what you want the outcome to be when you implement a new policy in an organisation. And because we are all human, (laughs) not everyone is going to interpret that policy the same. Or, you know, I, I said before, I've come across people who say, well, it doesn't apply to me. So many policies that I've seen are just not comprehensive enough to deal with every situation result in people not following the policy. Lastly, of course, is the need to inform and train people in a new policy. So you have to communicate the fact that there is a policy and maybe then how to interpret that policy. Absolutely. You know, when someone first joins an organisation in particular, they don't know everything. They don't know what the rules are, if you like, in the organisation. There are always books of policies and procedures around and they'll talk to someone who's been there for a while and they say, well, I never knew about that. And so that's where the training and, yes, the communication, as you said, becomes so important because if we don't educate, train people in the behaviours that we want, then it's no good just having a policy sitting in a folder or on a file somewhere, is it? Absolutely not. Now, tell me, was there a big difference in terms of policy when you were in the military compared to the private sector? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the military has been around for a long, long time, so there's been plenty of time to develop policies and procedures. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, a big organisation like that is very slow to adapt, very slow to adapt, mm. whereas in a smaller private sector organisation, you can change the policies very, very quickly. There's only a few people to inform so change can happen quite quickly, unlike something like the military that uh, where, where change is very slow. Have you ever had to initiate or drive a change in policy in a leadership role? Uh, yes, I can actually give you two examples here. Um, we was talking there before about the private and public sector. So when I was working uh, with a consulting firm, I joined in the early stages. There weren't a lot of policies that had been developed. And the organisation was growing quite rapidly. So there were uncertainties across the different offices. The company had five offices in each, well, not all the capital cities, but the major capital cities across Australia. And, you know, one example was just ordering stationery, a simple thing, but it used to cause a lot of confusion. And we ended up with lots of stock of different things in one office and none in the other. And so we developed a policy for purchasing centrally. What would you purchase centrally? And what was purchased locally? So once those guidelines were in place, we were able to get really good deals on our purchasing and, of course, not end up with lots of unwanted stock in different offices. The other thing, I guess, as I said before, with a small private company like that, you can make those changes very quickly within days, if you like. But one of the things I found in the military, so my other example is where current policy is no longer applicable and a new policy has to be written. And that comes about because of uncertainties. People are not sure what to do. And in particular, I think about societal changes and how that impacts a big organisation like the military. So I was in the army for 20 years. I joined in the 1970s. And uh, back then, women were integrated into the military, of course. But when I first joined, women were still allowed to remain in the military if they got married, but they had to leave if they became pregnant. Now, the 70s, we saw a huge change with feminism and the way women were viewed in the workforce. And so It wasn't until the really the early 80s that you saw those changes coming into the military where you could remain working in the military even if you became pregnant. 
an organisation like that, a big public sector organisation, which has had you know, many, many, many years of policy development. In this case, the example I'm using is a particularly male-oriented organisation and it's very slow to respond to those societal changes. So policies have to be developed. And then, of course, you get the government with an organisation like the military, there's a huge government influence as well on decision-making. So very, very different organisations and the approach to policy and how those policies are changed uh, both from internal and external influences. Has policy, in your experience, ever had an unexpected influence on the organisation, an impact which was not intended? Uh, yes, um, I've seen that many times. You know, the largest scale examples of the military seeing policies brought in that had, particularly back in the, I've not been in the military for over 20 years. so. I don't know if it's still the case, but the quota system of putting women or minority groups into employment had ongoing negative influences and impacts on others that were probably not foreseen at the time. And I'm sure that still occurs today with resentment of those who think that they're missing out. So that's sort of a broad example. But a much more, I guess, pointed example was I was working for an organisation that had what I thought was a, was a fairly clear policy about travel and travel allowances, but I became aware of how a policy can be abused if it's not really clear. And I started to become aware of a couple of people who worked together and who were making their trips long, what I thought were longer than necessary. And I started to make some inquiries and found out that by taking an extra night at the start and end of their work trip, they would actually get full days allowances paid. So they might leave in the afternoon stay somewhere overnight, but that allowed them a whole day of allowances for that really only a small amount of travel. So I put in an application to have the policy change in two ways. One, that overnight stays would only be approved if the workday started or finished outside of certain hours and that the overnight stay didn't trigger a full day's allowance but instead only a pro rata allowance. Now, that's a, a small example, but I saw people manipulating a non-specific policy for their own financial gain. I thought that was wrong. Yes. How important then is it for a leader, and, and you've been in many leadership positions, to have an awareness of that influence that you've discussed of, of that policy is having on an organisation? I said right at the start, I guess, that we're all human. And so people will, it's like water, you know, water flows and <laughs> in odd ways and um, can undermine the foundation of the building if it's not managed well. And I see that policies and the way in which policies are viewed within an organisation are just like that. The whole organisation would be undermined if the individuals in the organisation don't adhere to and understand the importance of policies. So firstly, I guess when you go to work for an organisation, you have to understand how that organisation works and how people adhere to the policies, particularly if you're moving into an organisation at a fairly senior level because everyone will be watching you and they'll all know that you're the newbie and maybe take or make an attempt to sideline you or take advantage of your naivety or lack of understanding of how the organisation works. So there are the written policies and the unwritten policies and you need to look and listen and really find out how the organisation works and how those policies work within the organisation because some policies will be followed and others won't. And that's just human nature and it's the way organisations work. You have to ask yourself that question. Are the rules followed? 
are guidelines followed or are they ignored? I guess also if you decide in moving to a new organisation that you're going to change the policies, you need to learn about the history and culture of the organisation and understand why those policies have been developed and why they're being ignored, if that's why you want to change a policy. How has that organisation gotten to that point? Why has it gotten to that point? Why is the policy being ignored? And if you change a policy, then that's going to have an impact on the culture and vice versa. If you're looking to change culture, changing a policy or some policies may help you to change that culture. But you need to have an understanding of the organisation. Of course, all the staff will resent any changes that you Mm. want to make if you're new. (laughs) Yes, I suppose if you're asking that question about changing policy as as a new leader, the second question should always be, is it going to be effective? Will it be followed? Exactly right. And the only way you find that out is by asking around about how things work, how they've worked in the past, and understanding the appetite for change in an organisation. You know, some organisations function well in a flexible, flowing way. Others don't. And that's part of the organisational culture. Tracy, what sort of advice would you give to our graduates of the MBA here at USQ if they're going into a leadership position about the importance of understanding policy, policy landscapes, and being involved in organisational policy and its development? You have to really have an understanding of the influence that policies are having on the organisation. We talked before about why were those policies developed, what solutions or what uncertainties or what solutions, what outcomes was the policy delivering or developed for and what was the reason that the policy was developed in the first place. Also depends on the age of the organisation. If you're joining a new organisation that has a small number of employees and your policies are probably going to be fairly flexible, particularly if you're talking about the private sector, a startup, for example, where you have the luxuries of developing all the policies yourself from scratch. Where do you start? Where do you start? And then you take a large public sector organisation, if that's where you're going to work, you may find the policies so rigid because they're adhered to so strictly that you can't work in that organisation. And I've certainly come across people who have gone from one to the other, you know, someone who's worked in in the military, for example, and moved into the private sector and found that lack of rigidity incomprehensible they just couldn't work in that environment and vice versa I've worked with people in the public sector who came from the private sector who just didn't understand how people could work to a strict hourly day and have different I guess motivations for being at work so that does have an impact on the organization how people adhere to the policies that are in place and any person joining an organization needs to find and discover their own understanding of that organisation because the policy leads directly to culture and vice versa. Tracy, that's very important information how it always comes back to the people who create the organisation and therefore the culture that comes out of that. Oh, absolutely. The leaders of an organisation will set the tone for all different levels in an organisation. But regardless of what the policy might say, we all still follow that do what I do, not what I say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know that saying? We all do that. If if we watch someone get away with something, then we will say, well, I can get away with that as well. So there's no doubt the leaders of an organisation set the tone. They adhere to the policy. Everyone adheres to the policy. You know, you go to, um, as I said before, it's a bit like water that undermines foundation of a building. If you watch someone taking shortcuts, something simple like 
not parking in a designated car park, then that has ongoing impacts everywhere across an organisation. And I always believe that if someone takes shortcuts in one area, then there's no doubt they're taking shortcuts in another. So if people ignore policies, then they're probably ignoring other more important aspects of their job as well. Mm, Some excellent leadership advice there. Tracy Dobby, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. My pleasure. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.